O Heavenly King, the comfort of the Spirit of Truth, work ever present and fill us all things, treasure blessings and give our life. Come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls, a good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'll be completely honest, I don't remember where exactly we stopped last time. Does anyone remember? I know we didn't get that far. <laughs> that sounds right. You'll be amazed. I got through chapter one with the men. So that was three meetings. I know we didn't get through chapter one. Yeah, we definitely did not. Right, when I missed one with them. Because I was sick. So, all right. We are going to go ahead and jump in. We'll do, let's read verse four through the end of the chapter, just kind of refresh. Uh, especially because we have some new folks with us. Does everybody know Kelly and Kathleen? I got your names right, yes? It's two K's and they're close to... <laughs> and there's another Kelly. <laughs> Has everyone met? Well, if not, hi. <laughs> uh, okay, who would like to read? Maybe verse 4 through verse 9. Yes, four through nine. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. Who would like to read the rest of the chapter? I will. Please. Verse 10 through the end of the chapter. Okay. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonesty. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil things, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So from the beginning, we kind of we read the first chapter the first time and kind of gave an overview of the pastoral epistles, this kind of Pauline uh, letter. So, for example, that we have the two to Timothy, uh, that we have Paul trying to strengthen the mission work of the church. And specifically here in Titus in the first chapter, we have the need to put in place men who are going to be able to lead, uh, and they are particular qualities that these men need. Uh, There is, of course, the reason why Paul is commissioning Titus to basically go and ordain uh, bishops throughout, presbyters, head uh, overseers, uh, episcopoi. Uh, Some of these words this time, there's a little bit of, how shall I say, valence or like ambiguity. There would be like a head, in the same way that like bishop is basically the the head priest, right? He's the high priest. He is not something uh, like if we talk about three orders historically in the church: bishop, priest, and deacon. Priest and and bishop are basically orders of degree in what their their office is. The bishop is still a priest. He's just one who has, and we went over this, I believe, in the the, the last class about what specifically bishop responsibility. Uh, gifts that a bishop has versus a priest. But the reality in talking about uh, what is necessary in ordaining uh, particular people, uh, men to lead, is that there's problems, right? That there need, there's a need for order, that there is a need 
not just for order, just kind of a, imposed, but you need somebody who actually knows what they're doing, has some kind of experience, has particular virtues, uh, and you, you might be saying, okay, this is a chapter that we could go through very quickly since I'm the guy here, right? <laughs> and we're like, but I, I think the, the reality, as we've been talking about, like we're not all Titus, right? I'm not Titus, you're not Titus. Uh, we're all commissioned to do similar work, right? There is still need for order. There's still need for uh, virtue in the midst of all these things. And uh, there is especially for the, while not every man is also ordained, there's still need for these virtues that are outlined for everybody to be searching for these virtues. Uh, except maybe the husband of one wife is not going to be possible for a woman to fulfill. <laughs> but that still underlines like a husband of one wife means that there needs to be a stable relationship. What is the picture that you see? Let me go to questions. Like, what is the picture that you see of what uh, would be someone that you would want to have ordained? At the very end, that is, right? Like, that is one of the main things at the end. But you could have somebody who's a great teacher who's a complete jerk. <laughs> right? Like, Paul, like, he says that at the very end, and it's a very important thing here because he's dealing with folks who are teaching something that's false, but they're not just teaching something that's false. There's something more going on with them. What is the picture that we have of the problem? That I think when you look at the problem and you also look at what he's pointing to, you can see very different images or like uh, what he's painting is what needs to be virtuous to aim for. What do you think is the big thing that pops out? Not just you. I know I'm talking this way. <laughs> Two things I see both in the, you know, here are the qualities we need and then in, you know, qualities that we don't want or the, you know, these leaders that aren't good um, are, you know, out for dishonest gain um, and wanting somebody who this is a selfless thing. This is they're, they're out for their they're intentions, the glory of God and the, and the, the kingdom. Someone who's really walking the walk. Walking the walk. I think it's interesting that he starts off talking about how they conduct themselves in their personal and home life. Um, because that's not usually like things people put on their resume, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, it's kind of saying like, if you can't have order within your own house and lead your own house, then you will not be able to lead the wider church. Which is an ancient thing beyond, like this goes to the Old Testament, right? All the wisdom literature. And I like to talk about the pastoral epistles as kind of an extension of Old Testament wisdom literature, uh, which is why in the Orthodox Church, canon law, I think of it as kind of a wisdom literature. This is how good governance, good relations should be like. So the ancient world, they didn't have this idea. We have this very strong private-public divide that they did not have, mm. right? It didn't matter what Bill Clinton did in office. Mm. I just, this is my childhood, right? Like, <laughs> like it didn't matter what he did. He's a good president. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, right? Like, we don't ask about those things. In the ancient world, there was no, I mean, just the ancient world, what is Plato? If we just look at Plato versus Paul, mm-hmm. his whole idea of the ideal republic is full of people who have ordered themselves. Because if you don't have people who have ordered themselves, I'm talking about like their mind, that they're, chaste, that they have their passions under control, because otherwise, what do you get? You get vindictive, crazy leaders, right? <laughs> uh, so this is exactly, not, and it's not just personal, but it's also a corporate in the sense of, as you're saying, like home life is really important for Paul. And if you haven't got that from other Pauline epistles, right, this, this is usually the structure. In the pastoral, he's doing it a little bit differently. But Ephesians and Colossians, how does Paul go? Romans. So this theology, this heady theology, Christ is the, you know, the, the, now I have to go back in my head. Like he holds everything together. All of creation, right, is held together in him. He is the fullness of the Godhead, all of this stuff. And then when it gets to the end of the, what is it? It's like husbands. Yeah. Love your wives. Yeah. Wives, respect your husbands. Yeah. Like children, obey your parents. Like that is the actual practical uh, fruit of those doctrines. And there's always that tension, I think, even at the beginning uh, of this, right? Like, he's already talking about this. That which accords with godliness, right? There's always the doctrine is going to actually play itself out in the way that we live. There's always a tension. There's always a goal. (laughs) 
that we're aiming for that uh, we don't always uh, necessarily embody, but there is still the reality of aiming that direction than just giving up and not going for it, right? So what do you, what do you see in the household of a as a sound elder or The one we kind of tripped up on with the men was uh, right after the husband of one wife, uh, you have having faithful children. Yes. <laughs> Seems a little hard. Like, <laughs> how much control do you have over? That's exactly the conversation because somebody was like, uh, <laughs> like I feel <laughs> convicted, <laughs> judged, right? Wow, so I, I think one of the things, and this is always generation to generation. Because you'll have some folks who will fall very strong on this is only the children in your household mm-hmm. versus those who have gone out. Because what what real I think if you're doing that in order to let yourself let the tension go, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I talk a lot about tension. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of like there's a good that we need to be striving towards, but very often we kind of cut ourselves off from the good because we like we can't do that, that's perfect and I shouldn't I can't expect perfection, so I just don't even struggle towards what is even good. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, but I think if we were to just say, like, well, the kids are out of my house, on some level, you're right. They have freedom, and they have more freedom now than they did back then. <laughs> so we're not accountable for them in that way, but we still have some responsibility towards them, even if it's just at least prayer, like soaking them with prayer, like. Uh, having some responsibility towards them because we're always their parent. I can't imagine because my kids are all tiny, right? <laughs> I can sort of because they're tiny, but they're also still who they're going to be probably for the rest of their life. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, this is exactly why, like, for husbands and wives, like, to just go, like, look, like, to be blameless, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent. If those things are happening in the household, you have a lot better, like those, those goals, those virtues will help God. It kind of mutually feeds each other. Well, the father of the prodigal son was not you know, criticized or considered to be an unworthy person, an unworthy leader, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. his son had made that decision. Mm-hmm. And I think this is why I would say this is wisdom literature. The, the tradition I grew up in, this was like, this is all treated as like a checklist of this kind of like, which of course, even if you make a checklist, you're still making a subjective call about these things, right? How blameless. <laughs> because somebody got mad. Let's say I got mad at a waiter in a restaurant because of X, Y, and Z, and somebody saw me like raise my voice or get upset. Am I not blameless? Like, that's is that, check, that checkbox. right? Like, that's he's not blameless well, anymore. You no, know, we take that away. I think there's still uh, a subjectivity here, and again, as long as we don't lose that tension, that, that's why I go to the tension, that need for discernment, so that there is not lost. Especially, I think in our culture, there's kind of like, well, we can't do go for the good, so we just kind of give up, right? Like, so. What other things do you see? Or if somebody else wants a comment or a question about. Holding fast the faithful word, as has been taught, or is that that's on to Bishop, but. It's the same. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's just at the end of the list there. Yeah. To exhort and convict those who contradict. What do you think about that? Say it again, what you just said. To verse 9. Verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those who contradict. So being <clears throat> ready, I mean... Uh, so what, like, what is the work of a shepherd? Watchful. Watchful, <laughs> right. What else does a shepherd have to do? Direct. Direct. Protect. Protect, and what kind of protecting? Why... Keep everyone fighting together, off the, feeding off the predators, feeding off the violently. Because that's, that's <laughs> well, so what's interesting, you know, when Paul says here in verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped, 
the Greek there is basically, it gets translated like that, but the Greek is muzzle them. Mm-hmm. Like put a muzzle on them. Mm-hmm. Stop them from speaking. Mm-hmm. There's a, so the, again, this is Paul. It's a really strong language, right? It gets kind of, I think, uh, toned down in the English. But, I mean, if you, if you all have read Chrysostom, or I've presented a lot of quotes from Chrysostom, right? Uh, you get... Here, here's Chrysostom's comments about the ability to exhort and convict. So there's n- not need of the pomp of words, right? Somebody who can just talk a lot, but of strong minds, of skill in the scriptures, and of powerful thoughts. Do you not see that Plato, Paul put to flight the whole world, that he was more powerful than Plato and all the rest? But it was by miracles, you say. No, it wasn't miracles. If you look at the Acts of the Apostles, you'll find him prevailing by his teaching previously to the, the miracles, that he may be able to assound, with sound doctrine exhort, that is, to retain his own people and to overthrow the adversaries, to convince the gaysayers, gainsayers, for if this is not done, all is lost. He who knows not how to combat the adversaries, to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, to beat down reasonings, he who knows not what he ought to teach with regard to the right doctrine, far from him be the teacher's throne. For the other qualities may be found in those under his rule, such as blameless, children's subjection, hospitable, just, holy. But that which characterizes the teacher is this, to be able to instruct in the word to which no regard is now paid. <laughs> you get with Chrysostom. And again, what's great about reading the fathers, you get for, like the early apostolic teachings, and then you get to the fourth century, and they're talking about the same stuff, <laughs> the same problems. Chrysostom and Gregory, they, they talk a lot about guys being ordained who shouldn't be ordained. Like they were fast-tracked, they were put in an office, and they shouldn't have been put there. Or they don't even know the scriptures. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, so... I, you can see this strong image in Chrysostom, and I'm going to do a lot more jumping around than I did with the men. Uh, when you get down to uh, where, where you were laughing about this quote from the Cretan uh, poet, where Paul is quoting one of their own, a prophet of their own, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, oh, okay. and lazy gluttons. <clears throat> Paul is quoting a Greek poet. Paul likes to draw from, right? Like when he, uh, you worship the god the unknown god from the Areopagus, from the book of Acts, right? Paul is a well-educated man, so he draws on the things that he needs to. Do you know what this quote is about? Mm-mm. I thought, I didn't know until I, I actually looked it up. Chrysostom talks about it, actually, which made me make sure by going to checking some other commentaries what other... The Cretans said they had the tomb of Jupiter. Do you see something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense? The Cretans said they had the tomb of Jupiter. Exactly. <laughs> How could you have the tomb of a god? They said they had the tomb of Jupiter there in Crete. Okay. So this quote is a poet who's calling Cretans liars because they say they claim to have the tomb of Jupiter. Well, the backstory is really good. <laughs> so the other, so part of it, so he's quoting, right? He's talking about the local like Greek poet who's critiquing the Cretans. Because part of the challenge in Crete, Crete was actually one of the uh, strongest locations of Jews outside of Israel, Mm. such that Tacitus, the the Roman historian, thought Crete was actually where Jews came from originally, because he just didn't know the whole story, (laughs) the rest of the story. Uh, So this is why we have this strong Jewish influence here in Crete. You wouldn't think that maybe this should be a letter to somebody in Jerusalem or something, but in Crete there was a huge Jewish population. So, Chrysostom makes a big deal of this, uh, Paul using and quoting a poet of the Greeks, because for him, this creates this kind of like, why, is, why does Paul need to even quote somebody from outside the church or outside of Israel? Couldn't he just quote from the Bible? And Chrysostom says that God is always working to convict, to convince, and he sets up all sorts of things in the world for outside of Israel, right? Uh, he wants to draw in, and so he will use you know, this altar to the unknown God for Paul to be able to say, like, hey, I know about an unknown God that you don't know, or this quote from a poet. Uh, and I think there's a tendency, and this is replicated because Chrysostom has to deal with this, of a, a kind of restriction on uh, church culture 
to where if it's not a quote from like the Bible, if it's not a quote from the Father, therefore there's not truth in it. But that's never been the attitude of the church. The church has always said there's truth that we find that resonates, that we can quote, that we can use, because it's God still operating in the world. So God is speaking a truth through a random Greek poet. God is speaking a truth through that altar to an unknown God. God is speaking truth. This is why the fathers will say, like, uh, through Plato, through Socrates, I would say through modern music. Like, there's things where God is still present and still trying to communicate. And I'm going back to the original, right? Chrysostom's really strong and harsh in a certain sense. And then he says, because of all this, the way that God operates and interacts with us, God is like uh, a father who's trying to feed his child, who, uh, you know how, you know, flying the airplane? (laughs) He literally says he's not using the Greek, the proper Greek words for the meat or the food, and he's using like baby talk in order to to feed the child. And so this is Chrysostom's like vision of who God is. God is the dad or the mom, right? Like who is going goo goo gaga, like here you go, like here comes the plane to feed you. When I came across that in Chrysostom, I was just like, okay, Chrysostom, like you got this, like they must beat down the adversaries. And God is like going, so what I'm pointing, like there's a need for discernment and wisdom. Like there are gonna be times where you're gonna have, like if look at the kind of people, like this is a very particular type of person that is causing trouble. And there's you're going to need a shepherd or you are times where you might have to be in a position where like you're engaging and there's going to be some combat. There's going to be struggle. There might be conflict that needs to happen because something is on the line that's really important, like schism, like breaking things apart, like that will require out of you what might feel like combat that doesn't negate <laughs> All the other things, that full-orbedness of how, like, right? There's certain situations that need a, a strong hand, and there's other situations that you need the, you know, here comes the plane, right? <laughs> okay, so going back to what you said about, you know, we can use everything. Uh, Archbishop Alexander heard an interview or a talk that he gave, and he said that you were talking about Socrates and Plato, and my thought before I heard him talk was, Oh yeah, those heathens, those right, pagans. Exactly. But he said that they were very familiar with the wisdom literature of that's the Old what, Testament, and that that's where they got all their ideas. I thought, oh wow. my gosh, you know, we don't have to yeah. just toss them aside. You know, they were already marinating in that. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and so I mean, Basil. So we have the three hierarchs, the feast of three hierarchs coming soon, and this month we have three feasts for Basil, Gregory, and Chrysostom was what, yesterday, I believe? And then we have the three hierarchs feast coming up, which is the three of them. Uh, Historically, do you guys know the story of why the Feast of the Three Hierarchs? Okay, 600, 800 years after, you know, these guys, they're so popular, like I'm always quoting from Chrysostom because he's one of the places to go for biblical interpretation for Orthodox, typically. Uh, You had basically parties of saying like, I'm, uh, like a Johannite, I'm a Basilian, like I'm a, I'm for Basil, and you have others like I'm a Gregorian, right? Like I'm a Gregory, and they're like party. They were literally like fighting with each other about these things. I don't know if they're going fisticuffs in the like the alleys of Constantinople, but like they were fighting with each other about these things, right? People, right? <laughs> like we don't have fighting in the church now, right? So there was basically a vision that was given. I forget. I think it was a bishop. And it was the three of them basically coming together and like, yeah, because if you read them, like, again, going back to that that need for discernment, like, if you read them, you can see in places where they don't, they, like, articulate something a little bit differently. Or they might talk about the Trinity and maybe not exactly the same way. Uh, but they're all in agreement in the basics. And that the feast is basically, like, saying we're all in this together. <laughs> the three of us are combined. Like, you don't need to make these artificial divisions but so for in greece and throughout the church like so the chapel at saint vladimir's is dedicated to three hearts because they are the patrons 
of learning, of education, right? Uh, Basil and Gregory were school buddies, and if you read the eulogy that Gregory gives for Basil, it's all about how we would go to church, and then we would go and study. Basil writes this, uh, it's very famous, it's basically on the use of Greek letters, like how we can read Homer, how we can read the Greek pagan authors <coughs> to benefit. We're Christians. We need to be that, that image of like the bee looking for the honey. And ha- oh. that comes from, oh. this is also early in the church where what, do, what does Israel do when they're leaving? What does God tell them to do when they're leaving Egypt? He says, take the gold from the houses, right? Because out of this gold, you're going to build the temple. The fathers use that as a metaphor of take the best of where it is that you're coming from, what is around you in the world, and it will be transfigured. It will be made into literally a temple for them. So this need for us to find wisdom, right, to not just degrade or discount wisdom out from, quote unquote, outside the right. church. It's not outside the church. This is all God's okay. <laughs> creation. Because I think there is a tendency to kind of uh, make spiritual life into this kind of like thing, not just on a weekend thing, like we're kind of used to that kind of language, but like spirituality or like repentance or piety is this kind of one thing. And then the rest of my life, I don't know how to bridge this gap to make them actually speak together or be held together. And earlier, Chris is done when he's talking about, you know, the need for putting somebody in place to kind of create order. He starts talking about uh, criticism of clergy, about, oh, they don't speak so well, or, oh, they, you know, that people, you know, et cetera. And then his response, sorry, I just have to read it because I, I think it's very funny. Uh, how they criticize him for things like, um, he goes to the bath too much. <laughs> and he's like, "Why? Where is this forbidden? Why can't like baths are different things? It doesn't mean like he cleans himself, right? It's like that there are things that like are not laid out, but you're criticizing him because he's not according to this." And he says, "These are not the things we find blamed or applauded at all. For the qualities of what a bishop should be are required are different. They're not like what the world necessarily thinks, uh, but they ought." Uh, when they're looking for somebody in the ruler of the church, they need to see what the apostle requires. You can't be stricter than Paul or stricter than the spirit. If he's a striker, if he's violent, if he's cruel, if he's unmerciful, accuse him, right? These things are unworthy of a bishop. If you be luxurious, then that should be censorious. But if he takes care of his body, that he may minister to you, if he attends to his health, that he may be useful, ought he for this to be accused? Do you not know that bodily infirmity, no less than infirmity of soul, injures both us and the church? Why does Paul attend to this matter when he writes to Timothy and says, you need a little wine for your stomach? For if we could practice virtue with the soul alone, we don't need to take care of the body. And why then were we born at all? <laughs> but this has contributed to great share. It is not the extreme of folly to neglect the body. So I'm bringing this up, to, like this is all connected, right? Like God honors and uses stuff in the world to speak you have to discern it and find it but he also gives you a body and there's a need to take care of the body and he's talking specifically about clergy so this is also i like highlight self-care right like (laughs) god is not because we have this idea that spirituality or mental health or physical things are like different things but they're not they're actually all interwoven into each other and it's like they knew Christopher knew this in the fourth century. <laughs> I think we all basically know this, but just to hear that the tradition, this, this is what the tradition is. You do need to take care of yourself physically. You do need to take care of your mental health stuff. Like if you need to go to counseling, go to counseling. It's okay. Again, all of these things need discernment, right? <laughs> like there's some uh, diets that are probably not great for you. <laughs> They might make you shed pounds, but then you just gain them right back, right? That there's unhealthy ways. There might be a counselor who is not good for you because they might counsel you and give you advice. Yeah, you should just that like leave everything and go live your best life now. Like that's probably not the best advice from a counselor, or they don't respect your faith. I've had folks who come to me and like they basically do not respect the faith. They're like, well, it sounds like you're too restricted, and it's just like it sounds like you need a new counselor, <laughs> right? So. Uh, there needs for discernment and all of this 
I've been talking a lot. Do you have any questions or clarity? I do have a question. Mm -hmm. So you kind of were just talking about it because when you were, I don't know if I'm going to be able to phrase this properly, but That's when fine. you were talking about like, getting, mining the gold mm -hmm. from things, um, I was thinking about how things like um, philosophy and like Eastern spirituality to me are like um, now at this point in my life kind of like slippery slopes if I dabble in them because I'll swoon into those ideas like oh like what an idea but it's like gonna take me it's like going to make me think of things in a different way that are not in line with how I want to think about things now and like I can easily like go right so how do you um, like how do you do just, I just like so at this point I, sometimes I just like make a hard line for myself with certain things but how can how do you how do you mine the gold right so yeah. this great question yeah. that's why I hate to just throw it under the bus of discernment but that like if you're in that situation where like Paul makes a differentiation between like babes in Christ like those who are uh, on the milk of things and I'm not Right. I'm just talking about mm -hmm. if you haven't had a whole lot of formation in the tradition, then I think hard lines in certain areas <clears throat> are absolutely necessary. There might be somebody else that there might be a talk by somebody. And I'm I'm just thinking a lot because I'll read poetry or I'll read uh, right now. I'm reading a lot of stuff, kind of psychology, psychotherapy type stuff that I'm like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in the transmigration of souls or reincarnation, <laughs> right? But there's something where they're emphasizing something about attention or they're emphasizing, like, that I can say, that's helpful, that's a metaphor that I might be able to use, right? Like, mm -hmm. or, but it requires, I think this is exactly what, like, somebody who's well-grounded and rooted to be able to pick through. And some folks are not at that place yet, and so it's better for them to not, just not even engage with it. Yeah, so that's Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, so it's okay to be that way. Yeah. Because I thought it was maybe kind of like too, um, uh, like too, how I grew up when things were like black and white and like these things are bad. Oh, boy. So mm -hmm. I've been like, well, that's being like that. What is that word for? Right. Um, There's a word. That I kind of like extreme. sectarian or kind of like. Extreme kind of. Extreme is good. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I okay hate the word fundamentalist, That's how I was looking right. at right. but that yeah. word gets used so much mm. in certain quarters that I mean? don't like it. Well, huh. it depends on what you what mean by fundamentalist. Mean? Yeah, what does like it mean? Extreme. Or <laughs> like when you described yeah. your upbringing, this was a but checklist. Yes, that's that kind of thing. Yeah, if you're needing initially to focus on fundamentals in order to have a strong foundation with the fundamentals, then then you can start seeing the, the things outside of that. But mm -hmm. um, if you're not grounded in that yet, then you can go back to basics first. And okay. I think we can see in this the, the picture, and then it will come. Okay. The picture that's painted here, I, I, we spent a lot of the men got uh, not hung up, but focused on the word uh, hospitable. I think there are times, and this kind of goes back to the boundaries that we kind of talked about the last time too, there are times where hospitality is something where you engage with folks who are not like you, who are outside of the bounds of the church, or or who might even, you might, I don't like to use the word heretic, but if, because heresy usually means somebody who's from within and makes the decision to say like, I now renounce Jesus and now I follow like Hare Krishna stuff. <laughs> That is heresy. That's apostasy, right? As versus somebody who didn't grow up Christian at all and is Hare Krishna and you engage with, this is a very New Yorker, Chicago. <laughs> but like, right, I don't think there's a Hare Krishna around here. I haven't encountered them. Do you all know what I'm talking about, Hare Krishna? Okay. That's an interesting world. <laughs> uh, but that, uh, the need to be hospitable, open, but if you are tempted and that's like you spend all of your time around those folks and then you start getting influenced by it, then that might be where you say like, I need to back off a little bit. I need to put some stronger boundaries because I can't be present to this without being just influenced by it. Like I don't have my roots in, it's like a tree. You don't like, you want to protect a tree. So there's, you're going to put maybe like a rod next to it and tie it to that so it can grow up. So there's just times of need for discernment. Like sometimes you're going to be really open to certain 
people that you don't agree on, but you have to, you need to love them. I think, so I think there's that like fear, hostility, navigating that, and then where you actually are. I feel like I'm doing a cop-out and doing discernment, but I'm not. I'm trying to just show the complexity of human life. (laughs) And I think that the tradition and you can read the scripture and make it into this kind of like checklisty thing of like this, this person's not perfect. So therefore they can't be ordained. (laughs) This person is not perfect. Therefore they should do nothing in the church. Like that's never how it should be. Right. But yeah, uh, Lynn. And then I'm talking a lot. Sorry, but I resonate resonate with you, and I think we're alike in that we think a lot, and we ponder a lot, and we just, what if, what if, what if, and so forth and so on, and I get, you know, my head just going around in these circles, and in times in my my life, I've had people to talk to about it, Mm -hmm. and other times I haven't had any people to talk to about it. Well, I don't don't think we have to feel guilty about not having anybody, Mm -hmm. you know, that's been a real big revelation for me. Sometimes God just doesn't bring those people into my life. But if we have somebody like that, just to send a text, you know, community, I guess, is what I'm praying that we all would find to help us. Sometimes all you need to do is say it it and then quickly, but you don't always have that. But yeah, (laughs) it's the continuous loop. Yeah, thoughts yeah. are wonderful. Thinking's wonderful and very fun sometimes, but it can lead to trouble. Yeah. Especially when it's done solipsistically <laughs> with just yourself. Uh-huh. I mean, I call up other priests when I encounter things or like need help. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be self-referential, but I'm just like, I'm not like on monad. Chelsea can definitely tell. Like, right? I can't just on my own. Like, mm-hmm. I there are times where I'll ask advice from parishioners about certain things because I don't have the tools, I don't have the wisdom, I don't know, so I need help discerning. Uh, I have a responsibility as being the priest to make like the final call, but I have to ask for help. And if I didn't, this is a Chrysostom, like the, this false teacher is tyrannical actually. So he's like, there is a difference between a kind of like leadership that has boundaries. This is like a healthy person, right? A community also says it has boundaries, right? Yeah. Uh, it's It's not, uh, neurotically patrolling itself in case there's an intruder alert, right? But it is aware of situations or weaknesses and it needs to attend to those things. So, and you do this, this is part of the reason of doing this in access, right? Is to be able, because otherwise we are on our own. This is also why the church was like reading scripture. If we do it on our own, we can get ourselves in a whole lot of problems <laughs> because it's really easy. <laughs> To be able to just get down a hole or like, oh, I have a revelation from God. I'm like, that was actually a demon. (laughs) (laughs) That was not God. I was going to bring up the example of monastics in community, using your word community, Lynn, just like thinking about how they are often very hospitable communities, but they could never do that on their own. They have to do it together, Mm -hmm. you know, and under the guidance of their abbess or abbot. That's, that is their safety net, and that allows them to open their hearts and doors to wow. anybody who right. wants to come. And they're always ready, I think, because they're strong for the community. It doesn't mean, though, that they also don't have boundaries where they'll ask somebody oh, to leave. Oh, right, exactly, yeah. Because <laughs> they don't just yeah. say, oh, you want to be a monk or a nun, and like, great. No, yeah. they're like, we're going to enter a time of discernment. Like, yeah. is this where you, is this, because you're entering a family, right? Is this the family that you need to enter into, yeah. or do you need to go back into the world or to a parish, right? Yeah, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about... Good, good word. <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the false teachers, so like what exactly is going on. What? So we've kind of been painting a picture of the leadership or like virtues that lead to leadership and like, I'd say, community building and healthiness, right? Uh, that could that should be in the bishop, the priest, to laity. Like these are all virtues that need uh, to be aimed for. But what what is the opposite? What's going on in the false teacher? Wait, is it part of what we just read? Yep. It's ten through. I think. Did you read it? Oh it's yeah. Yeah, read it's what you read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was the question you just asked? What is the picture of the false teacher? The heretic, essentially. <laughs> In what way? So what? What? What is? I almost 
Like, I guess maybe like Pharisees, that's in a way kind of where there's like kind of that they're like doing the things that they, um, you know, they, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified. Ah, okay, so you, right. How do they profess to know him but then deny him? Do they? Yeah, what is the, what is the specifics? How would Paul say that they think they know God, but actually they deny him? They're abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. I don't know that list. So, so they're rebellious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sneaky. Sne- they're it's idle talkers. Deceivers. Yeah. Deceivers. Mm-hmm. Do as I say, not as I do. Well, sometimes they say they want you to do something different because they think it's they think God has told them to do this, but it's not right. What is, so maybe uh, a practical? What do you think it is that they are telling people to do that they are not or that they're not doing? Yeah. What do you mean? Going back to the law. Right. Like so what aspect? So right. If you know from broader Pauline epistles, you have the issue of. of because he says at the very beginning, right? They, these of the circumcision, 10, right? So is he talking about Jews? He's talking about Jews. He's talking about Jews, or at least Christians who were Jewish, right? And now the, the challenge, of the, this is from the book of Acts, all through the Pauline epistles, is, all right, Israel was the chosen people of God, and these are the particular markers and boundary markers, mm-hmm. circumcision being one of them, right? Now we have God has opened up the church and has now brought in the Gentiles and the prophets have talked about this like that's Paul and later Romans right like this is all through the prophets this was the trajectory of Israel this is what Israel was supposed to be doing preparing the way for the Messiah and then everybody's supposed to be allowed into the kingdom but what is the kingdom life supposed to look like is there circumcision or not What what identity markers where what do we do so what is the hmm so there, there are people telling them not to get circumcised. There are people who are telling Gentiles you got to be circumcised. Oh, and that's bad. In order. That's not required. It's not oh, required. It's not, okay, okay. Yeah. So because that's not the new marker of you're in the kingdom, it's baptism now, mm-hmm. right? So Paul doesn't have a problem with Jews continuing to circumcise their boys. It's like that's fine. The issue is now them requiring Gentiles, you can't be a part of the church unless you all get, all the boys get circumcised. Okay, I'm going to ask a real basic question. I know everybody knows the answer to, but I don't. Foreskin of a man's penis. No, I know that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I know that part. Okay. I don't. (laughs) When, um, when, was that... Was that not needed anymore when Jesus died on the cross? Was that when it changed? So this is, right, so this is the whole debate. What of Jewish law is supposed to still be followed in the church? Right, after Pentecost, after, like, what? where is the law and all of this? For, because for Jews, it was, this is who we are. If you read, like, uh, intertestamental uh, works, deuterocanonical stuff in between the so-called silence that you know, did you all grow up with this in Protestant circles the silence between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament 400 years where God didn't say anything there's volumes of stuff that was written right there's all sorts of the Jews are arguing with each other about all sorts of stuff like when is the day of atonement uh, the Greeks uh, you know they've destroyed the temple they've and so they're all there's all sorts of stuff going on in arguing and development and it's Quoted. These books are quoted. Like we read uh, in the, the vigil, we'll read from Wisdom of Solomon. That's not in the new, like a Protestant Old Testament Bible. But, and it's not in that we don't have the same idea of canon the way that Protestants do. We have a little bit of a looser idea of that because the printing press was a pretty new invention, right? Like, nobody, Paul was not walking around, and I think this is only the New Testament, so definitely Paul was not walking around with this, right? He only had the Old Testament. There's no, there's no Gospels when Paul's walking around, right? So you have uh, this need uh, in the church to figure out how, what are the identity markers? Because the Jewish people 
right? Because this was given to them. These are the identity markers. It's temple. It's keeping uh, kosher. That's the way we would talk about it now. So this is part of this cleanliness, uncleanliness thing, right? This is a clean food. This is the, this is also the book of Acts, right? What does Peter have to be convinced of by... Because Paul had to rebuke Peter because Peter was basically hanging out with the circumcision and didn't really still know what to do with the, the Gentiles. So he has a vision of God saying, like, everything is clean to eat. Oh, yeah. Is right? that what he's referring to? Yeah. Like, okay. okay. When you grew up Adventist, yeah. right? So yeah. there's going to be a whole other they dimension like that actually that applies. It, right. But, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so this is part of the reason I'm, I'm remembering this. I'm like, hold on a second. You would have been formed by Adventists who uh-huh. have a weird relationship to the law. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> they yeah. want to keep the law. Yeah. So, so they didn't like the basket dream because that. So you yeah. can see how this is a live topic where Paul. Oh, yeah, because they're still. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. they want to they eat kosher or they want to keep Sabbath. No they work and no eat different things like that. No right. Yeah. right. Yeah. So this is fascinating. Chrysostom, mm-hmm. he, uh, there's homilies about this and there's debate about this about against the Judaizers and people that see against the Judaizers. See, anti-Semitism in the fourth century. That's not actually what Chrysostom's talking about. Mm-hmm. He has strong language, so there's that. But everybody, if you read everybody in the ancient world, they, they are much more, they're like our, our social media now where everybody kind of just lets it all hang out. They're a little bit more like that, right? Uh, there is, um, sorry, there's Christians who are still having a, this struggle, even to Christmas Day in the same way that Paul, and it's not like, even Avis, I think they have a kind of Judaizing tendency where they want to make certain Jewish law, Old Testament things applicable to everybody, but it's not actually applicable to the Gentiles. So what is going on is these fellows, households, they're dividing up the church because they're saying, like, those people are there unclean. We shouldn't have anything to do with them, right? And the reason why is because they're teaching Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So what are the Jewish fables? That is not Paul's slang for, like, Old Testament yeah. Jewish stuff. That's not what he means by that. Um, I think I feel like wow. I have to make that clear because we can go in extremes. Like we need to keep the law. You'll find Christians today with like Adventists and others who are like uh, we have to keep the law because it was never like um, well, it's this question about what fulfillment of the law is, right? And then you have others who go to the other extreme <laughs> and basically like. There's nothing to do. The law is like we have nothing to do with the law. And in fact, they don't even know what to do with the law. That's that's how I grew up. It was basically like Christ died on the cross. It was nailed to the cross, Colossians. Mm-hmm. And therefore, everything that we read, read from it was like, uh, what is the moral thing that we can gather out of this? Because mm-hmm. they didn't know what to do with the law. You're saying, yeah, because, yeah. yeah, like mm-hmm. this just the law is this. For the, the ancient church, there is a fulfillment. There is... The Old Testament still has purchase. It still leads us to God. It's scripture, right? As I was saying, like none of the New Testament writers had the New Testament. <laughs> Paul wasn't going around quoting Matthew. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, da 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 and then that's his sermon. No, he has to go to Isaiah. He has to go to Deuteronomy. He has to go to Leviticus and talk about the lamb from Levit- Leviticus and how he's the fulfillment of the temple rites, all that kind of stuff, right? So... Orthodoxy in the early church, they honor, so like for the priest, I'll give an example of something I think of the priesthood. There is still Levitical code that is kind of assumed in canonical canonical law about who can be ordained to the priesthood. If I was lame, that would be an impediment against me to present at the altar because it is in Leviticus as well kind of practical too like if i can't maneuver around how can i do the things that i'm supposed to do right uh the husband of one wife that is a canonical like impediment thing i can't have been divorced before uh and then be ordained if chelsea was to god forbid die i could not remarry unless i was asked to be laicized can you imagine trying to date a priest? Like, <laughs> it just causes a pastor, like, boundaries, like, <laughs> unhealthy, right? So it's not like a Protestant pastor. Like, confession, pastoral counsel, it's, it, there's a different layer there that just makes everything <clears throat> not appropriate. 
blamelessness, right? So uh, that still uses and applies and understands God, church, by using the Old Testament. But it does it in a way, Chrysostom, when he talks about, you had folks who are like, we can't eat, I'll just say, we can't have a cheeseburger. Why? But do you understand what I'm saying? Like kosher, right? This is the easiest. <laughs> the goat, the baby goat should not be boiled in its mother's milk, right? And therefore they get kosher, some of the kosher laws out of that. The way Chrysostom uh, interprets in the church and Paul and what he's saying, that Paul is saying, it is the law was given to us to teach us, but it's not the fulfillment, right? Christ is the fulfillment. So the point of the law of some of these things was to teach us about who God is, but there it's a teaching. It's like a ladder. So therefore, once it's 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 fulfilled, it's what it's supposed to do. But now in the fullness, there is a purity of heart that can be accessible that you can have a cheeseburger, right? Because it's not the things that uh, go into you that defile you, to quote Jesus from somewhere else, but it's what comes out of your heart that defiles you. So there's a kind of a deepening. The law was fulfilled in Christ because everything is complete. We now have complete access to God in Jesus. So what you had is folks who were kind of regressing into Jewish fables. And Jewish fables was like the genealogies. First uh, Timothy talks about this, where he's talking dealing with the same thing. Uh, they give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which cause dip- disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. So because the purpose of the commandment of the Old Testament is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. So they don't actually understand what it means that Jesus has come and that he is the fulfillment, that he is what the law was pointing to. So we read the law and understand all of that Christologically. We see it fulfilled in Christ. We see it fulfilled in the church. So we don't have the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament. Uh, all of these have been basically fulfilled and they've been brought to a universal level and not just the particularities of the people of Israel. Some of this is heady, like... <laughs> but this is also... I, let's go in a different direction. Pastorally, practically... What is going on? You have a bunch of people who are obsessing, not just about like some practices, but also let's sit around and have endless debates about the genealogies of the Old Testament scriptures. And I've got an information about, did you know that um, Enoch, because there's like four books of Enoch, right? Uh, this whole story that I've heard, and that's what like b- church time becomes, is people talking about stories that are not about Jesus, <laughs> but they're a waste of time. They're just gossiping about Old Testament stuff. My grandfather was raised, born and raised Jewish in what's now Belarus, mm-hmm. out in just a farm. And in his autobiography, he talked, he complains about talk genealogy. <laughs> so it goes <laughs> funny. You. And Christian, so I'd say this, it's not just peculiar to Judaism. This is a constant Christian challenge. Uh, And I'm, who knows about Lord of the Spirits, the podcast? Do you all know about this podcast? Yeah. Most of it goes So part of the challenge with Lord of the Spirits is they're talking about Old Testament stuff. And you'll get like groupies onto this because they'll talk about like angels and giants and like, because there's giants like in the Old Testament, uh-huh. and they kind of make that tie back to Genesis six about you know the sons of God and the right. daughters of women, and they're like so they'll spend all this time talking about this stuff, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with trying to fully understand, but you can see how, and I saw I could see it in I would just say groupies like this mm-hmm. this kind of interest in like angels and the demonic or like Old Testament stuff or do like where they spend their time. It's almost like um, Marvel Comics or, <laughs> right? Like that's what starts becoming the focus of things instead of like repentance. <laughs> like what is the point of this stuff? Like, right, like how do I relate to my wife and my kids and like that stuff? It can become like fanfic, right? Like this whole other thing 
that misses the point. And I'm not digging on the podcast or the spirits because I think they always are trying to do that. But when you talk about some of these things, I mean, look at the shelves at Barnes and Noble in the inspirational section. There's a lot of stuff talking about a whole lot of stuff. And this is where I discernment. Like most of that stuff is fluff and it's just made up stuff. The obsession with like stories about those who've gone to the other side and come back. Mm-hmm. And now we have revelations about what the others are like. I wouldn't focus on that stuff at all. <laughs> Just, you have, we have what we need, <laughs> right? So I think there's that perennial challenge of those who will major in the minors, in or, or not even minors, but like secondary, tertiary, I don't know what the quad, whatever, right? Like quadrary <laughs> stuff, and then create division amongst folks because they're focused on that stuff instead of like the actual core content. <laughs> that should bring everything back to reality, right? <laughs> so, any questions? I think we actually moved much further than we ever have before. <laughs> so we have this basic portrait of like uh, ordained leadership, but I think is also a good portrait of like church life, right? If we all looking to be blameless in the world that we're all like there's a particular responsibility put on uh leadership about being stewards of god but we're all stewards of god because we have those that we're around that we're stewarding for um that to be self-willed is going to bring chaos into the church to be quick-tempered well i don't think anybody we get that drunkenness violent Greedy. This is another thing that the, the guys picked up on, because there's also a lot of false teachers out there who, and you can tell, and this is early in, in the tradition, not just in scripture, but one of the things that you can tell a false teacher is their greediness for money. When you look on, look on the, and I'm not just going to pick on this, but it's, you know, televangelists. What is it always about? Call 1-800. We'll send you a prayer whatever napkin right and like and they're flying around in like multi-million dollar jets as if they need that well it's because of my ministry like you can get business class <laughs> like if you know i get maybe you're getting older and you need a little bit more space for your legs i get that the economy sucks but <laughs> there is this greedy and uh the didache which is a second century uh work that was discovered in the past like 150 years it talks about prophets who come to the church and the prophets are talking and it says if they basically say like oh you need to pay us and we'll stick around for a while and you just start paying us and didaka says tell them to go Hmm. it's the same with deuteronomy deuteronomy talks about false prophets if they are saying this is what's going to happen and then it doesn't happen it's time to go that picture is the need for itself the need for the greediness uh and therefore i'm going to create a cadre of people it's kind of guru stuff right who are going to follow me versus someone who's saying like this is the church this is the holiness this is how we grow etc all right next week we will do chapter two which yes month oh i couldn't do that um all right. Any final questions or comments or? My only comment was um, it says in 13, um, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, is that talking about the ministers and the priests? Is that everybody is supposed to rebuke people? Is that or? or I not? think in these particular situations, it's best for the priest to who has the specific responsibility for the teaching, etc. I think there are certain situations uh, rebuke would be hard. I think taking somebody aside, but I think there's a willfulness here. I think we have a very like person who's creating schism in the church where you get to the point of rebuking. Uh, I know that you're not saying this. Or like, if you have somebody who says something wrong in a Bible study, that doesn't require a rebuking, right? They're not being self-willed. They're, yeah, yeah. That's not. This is somebody's actively subverting the church. Okay. Right. And then we come to you, and you can go do that. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, I have not had to do that. 
And and the context, right, is it's written to Titus. It was written to so Titus. So is he yeah, talking to Titus in that verse about rebuking, or is he speaking generally about all those in, in leadership? So here's another thing about the ancient world. Uh, when you wrote something, nobody read silently to themselves. Oh. Everything was read aloud. And this is written, yes, this is to Titus, but this is to the church, right? We're still, we're reading somebody else's letter, right? So... Yeah, it was directed to Titus, but he's ordaining people to deal with these folks. And there's a perennial thing that happens, pattern here that's in the church, where you're going to need leadership that if there comes a time, there needs to be a sharp rebuking. I mean, what do they do with Arius? What do they do with the story? Like, now, to get to that point where they did that, though, like with Arius saying, like, you are, like, he's like, you are the arch-hesiarch, right? the arch-heretic. That required ecumenical counsel. That required a whole lot of going back and forth before there was that final like cutting off. Because what it, the point here is not to just cut them off, that they may be sound of the faith, that there's like yes. to bring so them back. back. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Right. And this goes back to that, like sometimes this is throughout the tradition, uh, specifically like Basil talking about in confession or pastoral care, there are times where you're going to have to be strong with somebody because they're wavering or that something like bad has happened. You'd be like, whoa, <laughs> adultery. No. <laughs> right. Like, and others where they're like struggling with something and you're like, okay, let's try to work through this. And like, sometimes you use honey. Sometimes you have to be a little stronger. So it's known pastorally. You're going to have to use different methods and figure out, and it's going to change over time. Just different folks or different ways. Mm-hmm. Discernment. Okay, let's let's finish. <laughs> Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to the words of my eyes and sin and salvation. Thou hast prepared for the face of all people, alike to like the Gentiles, in the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Amen.